Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. It's fantastic just to hear those, those testimonies, and it really ties in with our theme uh, in Galatians today. So, um, so yeah, really, really exciting. So we're continuing our series uh, new. We've got a few more weeks. I was going to just do two more weeks, but I'm actually going to do four more weeks because there's so much in here that, uh, to explore together. So I'm not going to rush through this book. We're going to spend a little bit more time in here uh, just really getting to grips with what the gospel is and the transformation it brings to us as people. So we're in Galatians 5 um, today. So um, that's what we're up to. These are the, uh, the sections we've done so far. And today we're going to look at Galatians 5 and we're going to call this this uh, talk, New Fruit. Look at the fruit of the Spirit, which many of you may be familiar with, but I really want to unpick it a bit deeper today so we get really to grips with what Paul is saying in this letter. So we're in, uh, we're in Galatians 16, sorry, 5, 16 to 25. In this section, Paul explores how we grow in our life in Christ. And we grow as we contend for this new nature that's within us. We follow Jesus. It's a dynamic process. It's not a passive process that we're involved in. And, and Paul says, straight off the bat here in verse 16, gratify the desires of the flesh. And so Paul is talking about two natures, if you like, two, two forces within us, that the spirit nature uh, and the flesh nature. They're sort of present in us, which we'll look at in a moment. And the word flesh in your Bible is translated from the Greek word sarx, and it means the sort of the fleshy bit of you, not, not this bit, not this bit, but the bit of you that isn't inclined towards God, the bit of you that is inclined towards the self. We've said before that sin is a life turned in on itself, and that's what this word sarks means. It's, it's the part of us that wants to turn away from God and turn in on ourselves. And uh, Paul says in verse 17, this bit of us, this sarks, it desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit desires what's contrary to the flesh, to the sarks. So you've got these two forces that are at play in the life of a believer. Anybody recognize that? You should all recognize it. These two. Cont- so anybody here have no contending thoughts or no contending behaviors? So that's more like it. So we're now, <laughs> now we're getting to where we should be. Because within us, there are these contending forces, these contending desires that Paul is talking about. And you might think this is sort of, you know, the, the sarks, the flesh is in us, and the Holy Spirit is outside of us, and these are sort of like an inside-outside battle, but actually it's not true. All this happens within us. This battle happens within us, continually, moment by moment, day by day, week by week, and year by year. And we've got these contending desires at play in our lives as we try and follow Christ, as we try and live out the gospel. So when you, before you came to Christ, your sarks nature was unopposed in you. It had, if you like, all the sofa. That's the best picture I could find to kind of... <laughs> Not sure that's what it looks like, but it's pretty close. Pretty gross and pretty close. But when Christ comes, he puts 
his nature within us. And so now the sofa's contended. It says in 2 Corinthians 1.22 that God puts his seal of ownership on us and he puts his spirit in our hearts. And this is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So the bit of God that's been placed in you is like a damn payment on all that's going to be for you in your future. Amen? So the spirit in you is, is, is a, a deposit, a damn payment on the future life you're going to have in God together. So before the Spirit came into your life, your socks ruled unopposed in your life, had free reign, and uh, did exactly what he wanted to do. And this sofa's not like a friend's sofa, you know, everyone isn't getting along together, because the, the Spirit is trying to evict the socks completely from you. And the socks is resisting this contention, he's, he's trying to elbow his way back into your life. And so we live in this conflict between the old self and the new self. And the scripture tells us to put off the old self and to put on the new self. This contention is taking place within us. Now traditionally, from this picture, you might arrive at a model that looks a bit like this. We've got this nature that's like a mixed nature. You know, it's partially godly, partially sinful. And that influences our desires. So sometimes we're drawn to sin and sometimes we're drawn to God. And that in turn influences what we do. It's our actions, the bit you can see. So occasionally we we do godly things, and occasionally we do ungodly things. But there's a problem with this picture. And the problem is, the Bible says, you were crucified with Christ, and you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. So your nature was put to death on the cross with Christ. You read that part in your Bible? You're dead to sin, but alive to Christ. So your nature was killed. Your sark's nature was killed in Christ, crucified with him on the cross. Or to use Paul's other reference, we went through Christ to the baptism of death on the cross to resurrection life. So actually the Bible would say we haven't got a mixed nature, we've got an utterly godly nature. So there's a problem with this picture. Because if you think that you are just a mixed person inside... You spend all your life trying to referee the good bit and the bad bit. And some days you feel like the good bit's winning, and some days you feel like the bad bit's winning. And you feel like you're refereeing the nature within yourself. You're kind of shadow boxing your old self all the time. And this isn't the theological picture that's painted in the New Testament. Because it says in the scripture that we are made dead to sin, but alive to Christ. We're cru- our old self is crucified. The old has gone. I cannot reference you many scriptures. You're a new creation. Over and over again, the New Testament says, actually, your old self is done with. You're a new creation in Christ. Rob Putman, in his book, Live Like Jesus, it's a really great book. I recommend it to you. He gives a better explanation of what's actually really happening at this point in our lives. He says this, when we're saved, we're made new. Our nature is changed. We become 100% dead to sin and alive to Christ. And this is where the freedom in Christ stuff really has the power to bring change because our mind is not completely regenerated at the moment of salvation. Your mind is where the battleground is. We still live with a mindset formed by our life experiences 
and our various influences. So you've just heard a couple of stories, how things that happened to us in the past, they shape our beliefs and they shape our actions. While God gives us a new heart and a new spirit, our mind is still in the process of being renewed. Anybody recognize this action taking place? And Rob says, remember what Paul says. He says, he references Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is his good and accurate, sorry, his good, acceptable and perfect will. So we don't war against the sarks in, the, in our flesh. We war in our minds by renewing our minds. This is what transforms us. We're not split people with a, with a good bit and a bad bit. That might be a revelation to you this morning. That if you've received Christ into your life, you are made righteous all the way through. Even the bits you don't like about yourself are righteous all the way through. But you're learning to live that out. You're learning what it is to live from a righteous identity. And so our journey as Christians is we're just discovering what it is to be new creations. And we're trying to align ourselves with the truth of being new creations. So we come up with a developed picture that looks a bit like this. Your nature is 100% righteous. But you have a mindset that's partially in truth and in error. You believe some good things and you believe some bad things. You believe some godly things and you believe some ungodly things. And that's true of all of us today in this room. And that mindset influences your desires. So your desires are charged by your nature and by your mindset. So this explains some days you're really full on for God and you own out for God and God's everything. Other days you couldn't care less. You want to do something else. You want to do something that satisfies you or turns you towards yourself. And so you have mixed desires within yourself. And these then influence your actions. And that's where your will comes to play. Your will, your power to choose. If you move your will back down this diagram, then you, you, you exhaust yourself trying to manage your desires all the time, trying to shadow box with this old self that isn't there. Before you realise your will is coming to bear on a mindset that is influencing your desires, you're much more empowered to recognise and get behind why do you really do what you do? Why do you really think what you think? So when your mindset's aligned to God, what's going to happen? Your desires will be aligned to God, and then your actions will be aligned to God. As believers, we spend too much of our time down the right-hand side of this diagram trying to manage our behaviours and not figuring out why we do these things. We need to go upstream and look at our mindsets. What actually are we believing? What's, what's empowering our desires? What's influencing? Does this resonate with you? Mm. <laughs> You're making me think really hard on a Sunday morning, Simon. I'm not quite sure I want to do this. <laughs> I've just come for a preach. I want to go home and have lunch. <laughs> you see, your mind is not your friend. Hear me again. Your mind is not your friend. Your mind likes to preserve the status quo. Your mind likes things just as they are. 
whether they're good or bad or mixed around, but your mind is lazy. We talked before about your mind is like a ploughed field. You ever try and drive across a ploughed field, the wheels of the car will drop into the ruts and they will stay there. You like to do the same things day in, day out, over and over again, good or bad or indifferent. You live a habitual life. Amen? The things you did this morning, you would have done habitually. Your mind likes it easy. It likes it habitual because it doesn't have to work. It hasn't got to burn any calories. It's lazy. And so Paul says, you have to take hold of your mind and renew it. Because that's when the transformation comes. And so your mind even now can be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not for this, I'm sorry. This sounds like jolly hard work to me. Let's just think about Netflix. Let's think about lunch. Let's think about anything but this. Your mind is not your friend. But your nature is your friend because it's been made 100% righteous in Christ. And now the spirit is trying to elbow off the sofa those old mindsets and desires so it can fully inhabit the house of your soul and you can come into all that God's got for you. Amen? Mmm. Oh, yeah. Come on. Oh, no. Oh, no. See, even that's bad. Even the fact your English is fighting against you. Because you've got Greek thinking. You've massively influenced Greek thinking. And Greek thinking is into putting things in silos and linear ways. And we put it all in boxes and tie it off and tie it up. And it's all fine and dandy. But it's not. Because you know as you sit there this morning, your life is a mess in parts. Anyone admit to that? Your life is a mess. You're inconsistent. You don't do what you want to do. You come here and you hear all this great stuff and great worship. You go home and do the very opposite. Because you need to be renewed in the place of your mind to really see transformation, to really live out the identity where God wants you to be. And if the enemy can keep you boxed up and tied up in your, in your mixed mindsets, in your mixed desires, he can keep you feeling guilt and shame and feeling like, I'm not actually a real Christian, I'm not really making a difference. He can keep you locked up and disempowered and the church never comes into its inheritance. So Paul describes these desires of the sinful nature that are present in us. And really, the, the language Paul uses, he means over-desires, that the, the, the flesh tries to over-stimulate you into wanting something, believing that thing that you want is going to make you feel better or make you feel valid or make you feel comforted. It's a way, we've talked before in this book about self-saving. This thing is going to save you. It's going to bring self-salvation to you. You see, and the spirit wars against that. The spirit also wants to bring over desires to you, but wants to stimulate you towards the things of God. The spirit is, is so passionate for the person of Jesus Christ and the things of God. So the spirit is trying to over, get you to over-desire the things of God. And that's why one minute you feel like you're in heaven, and next minute you feel like you're in hell. Because these, the contending forces that are within you, the work of the spirit and the work of the sarks, the old echoes of the flesh. So, let's think about it for a moment. I mean, I want to really go deeper with this because I know many Christians who are miserable. <laughs> and so do you. Um, 
And the reason they're miserable is because their nature is redeemed. So the very core of who they want to be and how they want to live is set. Okay? It's set within them. But what they do is at conflict with that. So it's a bit like if you came to me and said, Simon, you know, uh, any food you don't like eating. And I'm, I'm fairly tolerant of most foods, but a couple of foods I'm not massively keen on, and they are celery. I mean, who likes celery? Don't, don't, don't. I get more response from a celery question than a Holy Spirit question. Celery and pavlova. Any pavlova lovers in the house? You're just eating sugar, so what are you doing? So celery and pavlova. So if you came to me and said, Simon, uh, what did you have for breakfast this morning? I said, I I had celery. You'd be like, okay. Odd choice. (coughs) Knowing what I know about you. Okay, what did you have for lunch? Well, I had pavlova. Celery, pavlova. Okay, strange choice. And what are you planning to have for dinner? Well, I'm having celery pavlova surprise. (laughs) You'd be like, you are an idiot. Why are you making these choices that are at odds with your natural appetites? But that's what Christians do over and over and over again. And they wonder why they're miserable. And they wonder why they feel fragmented and inconsistent in their life with Christ. Because they're letting their old mindsets supercharge their desires for things that don't actually bring them health and life. And really, at the root of this, it's idolatry. We think certain things, if we do them or, 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 um, or receive them, they're going to save us in some way. They're going to somehow make us feel better about ourselves. And, and so what Paul says, we need to get behind and underneath this and to figure out what's actually taking place in these desires, in these yearnings. So how does this sarx work in our lives? Paul says we're to, we're to walk by the Spirit, we're to be led by the Spirit, and we're to live by the Spirit. So we've got these two motivational systems in play with us, these two sets of desires that are at work in us. And Paul says we need to recognise it's by the Spirit that we, this thing starts to break down, we start to make progress. And so your sinful desires are part of your old motivational system, the things that you would lean into uh, for self Salvation, the things that make you feel better. And Paul lists the acts of the flesh um, in this section. And he says they're obvious. And he goes on to list these, these big lists, which look pretty grim. And really, let's break them down. What they are about, really, is the works of the flesh. So these are things in the flesh that we do in the flesh to make us feel more valid about ourselves. So we're looking, to, we're looking for godliness within ourselves. And normally that associated with sexual behaviours. So we list sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. And these words in the Greek don't have direct translations into modern English, but he's talking about sex outside marriage, he's talking about moral uncleanness, he's talking about uncontrolled lust. He's talking about a whole bag of things here that we do in the flesh, particularly in sexual activity, to make us feel like gods, to make us feel more valid in ourselves. And then he goes on to talk about religion, occult and pagan practices, false counterfeit Religious practices that also make us feel self, sort of self-saved, make us feel better or more acceptable about ourselves. And then he talks about relationships. All these lists of relationships. And there's four things here that, um, 
that ref referred to attitudes and actions. There's, there's four and four. So you can see the destructive attitudes and results of these attitudes listed here as well. And finally, he goes on to talk about uh, drunkenness and orgies. These aren't sexual orgies. They're drinking orgies that Paul's referring to. So he says substance abuse and addiction and excessiveness, all these are ways of self-salvation. These are the works of the flesh. Remember, the flesh wants to be under law. The flesh is looking for a way to make itself feel better about itself. So these are all different things that we do in the flesh to self-save, to make ourselves feel more valid and more acceptable. And Paul has a stark warning for us after this list. He says this, These people who live like this will not enter, inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul isn't referring to moral lapses. He's not referring to um, infrequent sins. What he's saying is that these things are just unfettered in your life as a continuum, then you clearly haven't encountered Christ. You clearly haven't got the Spirit in the process of renewing you. So if your life is just unchecked in these ways, then the evidence is that you've not met Christ. Therefore, the evidence is you've not met Christ, you don't know the gospel, you're not going to inherit the kingdom. He's not trying to undermine or sow insecurity into moral lapses or, or sinful oddities that happen within our lives. He's trying to say, if this is just unfettered, then clearly you don't know Christ. And if you don't know Christ, then you can't inherit the kingdom. That is the gospel truth that we've been looking at over these past few weeks. We're not going to linger too much there. We're going to get into the fruit of the Spirit. Now, you're very familiar with this list. It's been turned to a song, hasn't it? And it's been kind of, unfortunately, rendered down almost like into, into children's ministry. But actually, this is the essence of a renewed person, is that the fruit of the Spirit grows up in us as the Spirit does its work. And the word fruit tells us a number of different things about how the Spirit works. First, Christian growth is gradual. Anybody who's got a garden, as you go out and just, and just sit and watch the plants grow? No, nor do I. Because the growth is so incremental and so small that you can't perceive it by the naked eye, can you? But over a number of days, your grass gets longer, your plants get bigger and flower. There's this growth that takes place. It's incremental and gradual. And you can't sort of see it moment by moment, but you can see the results of it over time. And it's the same with the fruit of the Spirit. It's incrementally growing within every believer. And you don't tend to see it until a situation happens and you suddenly realise maybe you're acting in a more self-controlled manner than you were before. Or maybe you're more patient. Or maybe you're more uh, sacrificially serve somebody. And you think, actually, I'm changing. I am changing. The second thing is the growth of the Spirit is inevitable. It's incremental and it's inevitable. If you have the Spirit in you, you will grow in fruit. It is inevitable. Okay? You can't be a Christian who just stays parked somewhere. It's a contradiction in terms. Okay? You cannot. You will change over time if the Spirit is really in you. You might think your sinful desires this morning are as unyielding as a slab of concrete. 
They've been there so long and you struggle with them so much. But if the Spirit's in there, eventually the Spirit, like any good plant, will break down that concrete. Take a look at our car park if you want evidence for that. (laughs) Organic growth will break down the most resistant materials eventually. And so if the Spirit's really in us, then it will overcome even the most resistant desires that are set against God. Jesus will burst through eventually. Remember you're saved by faith, not by fruit. But that saving faith must have fruit attached to it. So if you really genuinely confess Christ this morning as your saviour, then by virtue of that, you will have fruit in your life. Because if you don't, you have a contradiction in terms. You can't just be fixed. There has to be that dynamic work of the Spirit in your life. You can't have a fruitless life if your life is in Christ. The two don't go together. And thirdly, the fruit is evidence of a deep, deep change within you. If you untie apples onto an apple tree, it doesn't make it an apple tree, does it? The apples come from within the tree. The life within the tree manifests itself in the fruit on the tree. The apples don't make the tree alive. The life in the tree brings the apples forth. And so the fruit in your life is a deep evidence of the Spirit's work in you, manifesting itself externally upon you. And so to be led by the Spirit is to grow fruit in our lives. You see, you might be gifted or your personality might be uh, in different ways. You might be a really gentle person. You know, and so you're naturally a gentle. That's the way you're wired. That's the way you're made. That's not a fruit of the Spirit. Okay? You might be naturally a self-controlled person in your personality, in your, in your makeup, in your training. That's not a fruit of the Spirit. Don't confuse your natural bent with fruits of the Spirit. Because you might display incredible self-control in your work life and then go home and completely lose it with your family. Because you've learnt behaviours in certain situations. What you don't have is the fruit of the Spirit that would allow that self-control to, to be prevalent across the whole piece. The other thing you need to really understand here, guys, is that Christian growth is symmetrical. The biggest mistake people make with this passage is they think there's nine fruits. Read it again. What does it say? One fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is. And so what you have here is nine parts of the same fruit. You don't have nine fruits. And that means that Christian growth is symmetrical. So when we grow as believers, we don't just grow in gentleness but not forbearance. We don't just grow in kindness and not faithfulness because we'd have a very lopsided fruit, wouldn't we? So what happens is that Christian growth is symmetrical. These are the parts that up in your life as you allow the Spirit to do its work. Hands up who missed that before. I thought so. So it's good to see, isn't it? It's good to see that the Christian growth is symmetrical. It's symmetrical. Let's look at these, these parts quickly. Love. It means to serve selflessly. The opposite is fear. And fear drives us to self-protect or to control. But the Spirit's love is free to serve 
without wanting anything back. Let's quickly go through this list. Joy. We delight in God. We delight in the beauty of who he is. It replaces hopelessness or, or despair in us. You know, if you don't have this fruit, then you're prone to mood swings. You're prone to being up and up and down and down and anything in between. Peace. It means not just I'm peaceful, but I'm, I'm resting in my confidence in God. God's in control and I trust him. It replaces anxiety and worry in us. The fake version of peace, you know, a counterfeit peace, would be apathy. Uh, apathy isn't peace. Apathy is, I just couldn't care less. Peace is actually, I'm resting in God. I'm trusting in him. Forbearance is your new translation. You used to be patience in the old translation. But this means the ability to face life's difficult circumstances without losing it. You know, when things get really tough, we can just trust in God and we can be patient that he's going to work through this situation. The opposite would maybe be resentment. You know, when things don't go away, we start to resent God or resent people. And we look to the left and right and think, well, they're doing much better than we are. But forbearance, we're calm in difficult situations. Kindness, selfless serving, replacing envy or the need to manipulate. You know, can you rejoice in someone else's joy? Can you rejoice in someone else's blessing? That's what godly joy, sorry, and kindness looks like. Goodness. It's not just about being good. It's about being the same in all situations. It's having integrity throughout yourself. So you're the same person wherever someone finds you. A tree's just fallen on your car. Are you the same person as you are when you're having a lovely meal with somebody? You know, do people find you the same? Is there integrity and not hypocrisy present in your life? Faithfulness, reliable and true to your word. You do what you say you're going to do. You turn up when you say you're going to turn up. You deliver what you say you're going to deliver. And that replaces just an opportunism or, or a desire to just do what you need for the best for you. You're just looking for that way to, do, to be on the make all the time. And gentleness. I love the word here I found in, uh, in a book, self-forgetfulness. Is that lovely? That means that you forget what you've done or forget what your achievements are because you're more concentrated on someone else. So you don't draw attention to yourself. You sort of forget and, and, you, and you live in humility, replacing being self-absorbed or self-obsessed. And self-control. This is all about self-management. You know, can you, f- can you focus on the importance and not be reactive or uncontrolled in your lifestyle? And this, the counterfeit of this is just your will, using sheer willpower to, to drive yourself through life. But actually, the fruit of the Spirit isn't dependent on willpower. It's dependent on an internal change in your mind and your heart that overflows into action. You don't just choose it. It's flowing forth as a fruit in your life. So how can we grow in these fruits? How can we grow? Paul reminds us that we belong to Christ. We've said all the way through this letter, he's tried to stress to the Galatians, all 
the Father has is yours. You're a child of God. You're welcome in the house. You're welcome in the family. Remember who you are in God. Don't strive for self-salvation. Don't look to the old ways, the old self. In Scripture, when it talks about putting the old self, sorry, put off the old self and put on the new, imagine you're dressed for a beautiful wedding, like Becca's wedding on, on, on Saturday. You know, you're in your, in your best suit, your best turnout, your best dress. You're beautiful. That's how you are in Christ. You are, you are dressed beautifully, 100% righteous in him. And when you go back to the old self, it's not like you take all that gear off and you put the, the old, you know, you, you, found, you find some clothes in a dustbin. You know, they're covered in old food and rubbish and muck and oil and blah. It's not like you take the suit off and you put those things on. What you do is you put those things on over the suit, over the dress. That's what reverting to an old mindset is really like. Because you can't change your nature because your nature's been dealt with in Christ. So you're now 100% righteous, dead to sin, alive to Christ. Beautifully dressed, clothed in Christ. What you do is you try and put this old, horrible, mucky stuff on over the top. And that's how ridiculous you look in the spirit. Imagine that picture. You're in your beautiful finery, your beautiful dress, your beautiful suit, whatever it is that you wear, and then you're trying to put some sort of old, mucky, rubbish, torn, ripped, filthy, bedraggled clothes over the top. And that's what it's like to live with an old mindset or to live with ungodly beliefs. So Paul says, remember who you are in Christ. And then he says this, you've crucified the sinful nature with its passion and desires. Galatians 2.20, further up in this letter, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I, that, that sinful person's gone. I still have echoes in my mind. I still have ungodly desires, but that sinful person has been crucified with Christ. is gone. I now live in Christ going forward and I take hold of these echoes and these ungodly mindsets and I crucify them so that they, they don't influence my desires, they don't influence my actions. So the continuing work of the Spirit in us is to recognise where's that socks, where's that flesh trying to work and exert itself in your life. Because really what you're trying to do is identify and dismantle the idols of self-salvation that still might linger around from your upbringing, your past, your experience, your relationships. So you're trying to bring them down, you're trying to destroy them, you're trying to... Who likes killing Eve? You're trying to kill them. There's many creative ways you're trying to. You're trying to wring the life out of these things so they don't have any influence in your life anymore. You're trying to be ruthlessly putting them to the sword so they don't influence your actions. Because these pseudo-saviors, these over-desires, these self-saving idols will try and get back into your life and try and dominate your life and try and undermine your Christian walk. So David says in Psalm 139, he says, Search me, O God. Search my heart, God, and find this stuff out in me. Dig it out and reveal it for what it is. And you can't just be hard on yourself. It's not about punishing your body or... or, or You know, Lent's great, but it doesn't work. Because when we deny ourselves um, outwardly, it doesn't change us inwardly. 
So, you know, I'll give something for Lent, I'll, 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 I'll stop watching TV or I'll, I'll stop eating cakes or I'll stop eating chocolate. It's not really going to bring about any change in your life because at the end of it, you'll just go back to the ungodly mindsets that were there before. Paul says these things have, a, have a, an appearance of spirituality but have no real power to bring about change in our lives. What we have to do is ruthlessly get behind our action to say, what, what am I thinking what am I doing? Where is this desire coming from? What's it rooted in? This is where courses like Freedom in Christ are so incredibly powerful because they get behind our motives and our actions and say, what's really going on deep down? Where is this, where is this rooted in my mind? And it's not just an intellectual exercise. We allow the Spirit to flood us. We allow ourselves to surrender to the work of the Spirit. We get in front of God and we say, God, I want to be so captivated by you that you drive all this junk out of my life and I have this renewed mind, this mind that can test and approve this life that you've got planned for me, which is what the scripture says. So we live and we keep in step with the Spirit. I know I've gone on, but I'm really passionate about this stuff because we can't just stick as church If the Spirit's really at work in us, it will change us. It will transform us. We will encounter more and more freedom. We will grow more and more of God's fruit in our lives. So let's stand together. If this gospel is really real, because if it isn't, you might as well pack up now. You might as well save yourself a Sunday morning, go to a garden centre, have a lie-in. If it's not real... If it doesn't produce change, then what are we doing? What are we doing? But if it is real, and it does produce change and transformation like the Bible promises, then we should be partakers of that. So maybe you want to close your eyes today and just say a simple prayer. God, I don't want to stay where I am. I don't want to just plateau here. I want to be someone who is growing and moving with you. I want to live out of that redeemed nature. If you're not a believer here this morning, you might want to receive that nature, that promised righteousness of Christ is yours for the receiving. So Lord, help us by your grace, by your spirit. We want to keep in step with you. We want to live by you. We want to walk by you. So God, would you help us to put to death ungodly mindsets, things that linger and cause us to desire things that aren't of you. And you you might desire good things, great things, but if they replace God, they still need to go. It's not just about desiring bad things. You might desire good things and great things. If they're an idol, they still need to go. So the Spirit can can bring you into all that God has for you, the fullness of what God promises. So God, I just pray to you in this week that the the words of of your gospel would just really sink into us, God, and the words of this letter would really sink into us and produce change. And we ask this by your precious name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for being patient with me. Uh, I've gone five minutes over, so you will need to get your kids. Uh, If you want someone to pray with you today, please don't go without receiving some prayer. God bless. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at WhitRiverside.